Welcome to Charlotte Reader's Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the show where we meet Charlotte area authors and those who visit the Queen City, and we hear them read their work. Support for Charlotte Reader's Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. For more information about these book-minded sponsors who help authors give voice to their written words, please visit them online at parkroadbooks.com and cmlibrary.org or drop by the bookstore or any library branch. In today's episode, we meet local New York Times bestselling author Amber Smith, who writes stories about teenagers whose experiences reflect her own personal struggles while growing up. Amber's two previous novels earned her wide acclaim. Her first book, The Way I Used to Be, was a New York Times bestseller which addressed sexual assault with a young female protagonist. Amber is an advocate for increased awareness of gendered violence and LBGTQ equality. Today, Amber reads from her third book, Something Like Gravity which she hopes will encourage inclusion and acceptance. She starts the show with a short reading from the opening of the book, where we meet Chris, a young transgender male. Host Landis Wade is committed to making this podcast worth your time. He's a recovering trial lawyer, award-winning author, book and dog lover, whose laid-back style encourages authors to read and talk about their published and emerging works. These are the stories that touch the emotions, followed by conversations that offer depth and insight into the readings and writing lives of the authors. This show is recorded in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, right here in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte. You can find links and information about this episode in the show notes at our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the stories. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. Eight minutes. That's how long it takes light from the sun to reach Earth. That means every time we look up at the sky, we can only ever see the sun as it was eight minutes ago. Never how it is right in this moment. The next closest star to our sun is Proxima Centauri, at 4.2 light years away. That's 25 trillion miles. It would take tens of thousands of years to get there and the farthest stars are millions of light years away. Far enough that so many of the stars we see don't even exist anymore. They've died in the time it took their light to reach us. All we can see is the past, but only so far, 13 billion light years. Anything beyond that is simply too distant and the light hasn't had enough time to reach us yet. There's something about that, something fascinating terrifying, beautiful. But sometimes I wish that for just once I could see into the future. Not on an astronomical scale, maybe just two or three years into my own life. If I could know ahead of time how this will all turn out, whether I'll be okay or not, then maybe I'd be a lot less scared, a lot less angry right now. That's what I was thinking about in the back seat, as I stared out the window watching the scenery on the I-90 turn like seasons, from suburbs to city to suburbs to country and back again. Until now, my parents had only spoken once in two and a half hours, and that was to tell me to turn my music down. Chris, I pretended not to hear. Chris, Mom repeated, louder, twisting around in her seat. My dad's eyes ticked up to meet mine in the rearview mirror. I pulled my headphones down around my neck. That was all the response I'd give her. She stared at me like she was trying really hard to see something in me, see someone in me. Is this punishment, she asked. You're trying to punish me by doing this. Sure, I muttered, monosyllabic. I learned that word when I was seven as in mom hated when I would give her monosyllabic answers instead of full sentences, which is why I use them strategically. I said I was sorry, Chris. She hadn't, actually. You hate me that much, she asked, and I could tell by the sharp edges of her words that I was making her angry. Good. Whatever, I mumbled. 
smashing the word down to a single compact sound. I hadn't spoken more than one-syllable words to Mom in two days, and I sure as hell wasn't about to start now. I, you, she began, but stopped herself, realizing we had this fight a million times already, not only over the last two days, but the whole past year, and no one ever ended up winning. She turned to Dad instead. A little help, Joe? I mean, really, God, she just... He, Dad interrupted. Okay? Can we just let it be? He cut his eyes to her, not quite raising his voice. It takes a lot for him to actually get angry, but lately, that quality has only seemed to enrage my mom. Let it be, she repeated, this bitter laugh vibrating under her words. Fine. She jerked herself around in the seat, crossing her arms and making a point to stare straight ahead without a sound. But I could see her working the muscles of her jaws, clenching her teeth like she was chewing up whatever leftover words were in her mouth. Dad watched me in the rear view again, his eyes wanting to tell me something I don't think he knew how to say with his voice, that he was trying, that maybe part of him understood part of me, that he was on my side, sometimes. He looked forward again, rolled his neck from side to side, and then readjusted his grip on the steering wheel, accelerating to just above the speed limit. I put my headphones back on and closed my eyes. Amber Smith is the New York Times bestselling author of novels for young adults. Her debut, The Way I Used to Be, 2016, was selected by the American Library Association's Amelia Bloomer List of Feminist Literature and Texas Library Association's Tasha List, named a Bank Street Best Book of the Year and nominated for a Goodreads Choice Award in YA Fiction, Connecticut's Nutbeg Book Award, and Indiana's Elliott Rosewater Award. Her second novel, The Last to Let Go, 2018, received starred reviews from Booklist and Voya. It was named a most anticipated book by BNN team blog, Elite Daily and Bookish. Her latest book, Something Like Gravity, published in June 2019. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Amber, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, very, very uh, melodious voice there when you read. That's great. Yeah, oh. I like that. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about journeys for a moment. Uh, you took a journey to Charlotte from Buffalo, right? That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. You were in school there? Yes. I, um, I grew up in Buffalo, and um, I moved to Charlotte about 10 years ago. So, mm. What brought you here? Um, I moved here after grad school. Because I wanted to um, work in the museum world. Ah, you, you were going to be in the yes. art world, huh? Yes, yeah. that's right. And while you were working in the museum, you had this idea for a book, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so I worked actually at the Mint Museum for several years. Mm. And during that time, um, it was actually the first time I didn't have a studio space to work on my own artwork. And so I started to gravitate towards creative writing as yeah, my because you, you creative had, outlet. Your degree in school was in art painting, right? That's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. When yeah. I was... Uh, and in, in art history. You had a, yep. Or that was your master's, I guess. That's, yeah. yeah, that's right. So you um, combined all that to come mm-hmm. to Charlotte to work in a museum, and then you said, no, nah, I'm going to write books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Does your art background um, help influence your writing in any way? You know, I'm sure it does. Um, I think... I'm a very visual person by nature, and I think that kind of helps me with my writing mm. in my descriptions. I'm always sort of imagining the scenes as I'm writing them. Your first book was a New York Times bestseller, and so a lot of authors are going to be listening to this and going, Dad, come it. I'm jealous of this person. You know, <laughs> the first book, and it's a New York Times bestseller. That doesn't happen. That's like lightning striking sometimes, right? So how did that feel, and what was that like? Oh, it was, I was completely shocked and surprised. I remember um, getting the phone call from my editor. um, And of course, I saw the New York area code come up. And I immediately thought, 
oh my gosh, they decided they didn't want my second book after all. <laughs> that's, the, that's the author brain at work, right? Rejection, rejection. Yes. It's coming, it's coming. <laughs> and then, so I answered, and it was it was my editor and the whole team at Simon & Schuster congratulating me about the, you know, my book hitting the list. Uh, and, and what was I, the first thing you did after you got that call? Um, I called my mom. There you go. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I yeah. called my mom and I told her. And, and she was excited, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. And then we went out for a celebratory drink. Did you have to keep it a secret for any period of time? Or no. no you could, nope. Uh, yeah, you could tell everybody. Yeah. Yep. I could shout it from the rooftops. Right, which you did, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's great. We're going to get to the story in a minute, but something did jump out at me right away in this first chapter that you read. Uh, you're going along and you don't really have a, you're not sure about Chris until the dad corrects the mother mm-hmm. and says, he, dad interrupted. So there's this dynamic going on about acceptance right off the bat, right? Right, and, right. And whether or not the mother has fully bought into what's going on with, with Chris, who's a female who's transitioning to be a male, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah. So is that a common theme in these family situations where maybe one parent is more on board than another? Or, I mean, I think that sort of situation where parents have different reactions can happen not only with um, children who are transgender, but children who come out as gay right, or, um, right. you know, any situation where parents sort of disagree or have a difference of... Um, perspectives on the situation it's not built into their normative how they grew up in their families and suddenly you have something that's different and how do you accept different right right and right. sometimes it's not immediate in the family but sometimes it, it happens right yeah there's an arc in your book right and i won't give i won't give it all away <laughs> about the mother but the mother's moving in the right direction right yeah, yes yeah, yeah, although it takes a while um okay i want to focus just a second on the the, the your note um your author's note for a moment in something like gravity, I think it's toward the back here. It, it says, uh, when I'm writing, I always try to think about the kinds of stories I really needed when I was a young person, the ones that would have made me feel less alone in the world. And then you go on to talk about uh, growing up uh, a lesbian and feeling uncertain. So in your writing, um, Talk about that just a minute. What, what are you trying to do with, with writing about these kinds of issues? Female victims of sexual assault, uh, lesbians dealing with coming out, uh, mm-hmm. transgender dealing with expectations and things that are different. Yeah. Um, so I'm not transgender, but yes, I am a lesbian. And I just, when I think of what my life was like when I was a teenager. I really felt very alone. I felt like um, some of the really difficult things I was going through that there, you know, there really weren't a lot of avenues to talk with anybody Mm -hmm. about it because, um, you know, a lot of these things are uncomfortable to talk about, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's sexuality or identity or, um, abuse and assault, these kinds of things. And I remember, um, just feeling really isolated when I was younger. And so I think, um, when I'm writing now as an adult, I just, I try to keep my teenage self in my, in the back of my mind. Mm. And that's really the space I'm writing from. And you grew up in the eighties and, uh, nineties, right? Right. So, and, uh, so, Again, another reason for, for people to be jealous of you is that you're in your early 30s and you're already a New York Times bestselling author. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but you grew up in a time when, um, you know, we're coming out of the 70s, you're growing up in the 80s and the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, that's peri- still a period of time where uh, being different is not fully acceptable, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Um, and how how was that experience for you in, in say, did you know in high school, for example, that uh, you were somehow different? I did. Um, you know, I remember, you know, having these thoughts like, what if I'm gay? Mm. Like when I was very young, like, like 11, 12 years old. Mm. But it was something I just sort of like I couldn't even deal with that. So mm-hmm. I just kind of pushed it away, tried not to think about it because so that was 
the early 90s or so, mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone in my life who was gay or mm-hmm. um, had any kind of different identity in that way. And so, um, yeah, while I definitely knew that I was a lesbian when I was a teenager, um, how, did, how did you know? I mean, what, 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 yeah. you know, it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint. I think I just ultimately knew that I didn't necessarily want the same things mm-hmm. as a lot of my friends, and it wasn't just about um, sexuality. It was also just about something at the at the core of my identity that mm-hmm. I just I knew that I wasn't fitting into this mold that I saw. And, and because you deal in these books with struggles, um, one mm-hmm. of which is getting comfortable in one's own skin, searching for one's identity, did you have those kind of struggles uh, as you were coming along? I definitely did, yeah. Um, and my my first relationships were with women um, happened when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after knowing for many, many years already that I was gay, um, I didn't come out to my family until I was well into my adulthood. And mm-hmm. I think I carried a lot of, um, I don't know if shame is the right word, but it's something like that, um, that I just didn't feel like I would be accepted for a very long time, even though I accepted myself on some level. And so I think a lot of that um, really enters into my books. Mm. Did you, were you accepted within your family? I was, yes. Were you you, you surprised at the reception that you received? I really was. um, So there's just this concern, this fear that I don't want my loved ones not to love me perhaps or yeah. because of the situation yeah uh, exactly well we had a similar i mean situation in our family our daughter was gay she's now happily married to a woman uh and mm-hmm. and uh but she didn't immediately tell us in college she eventually did told my wife first mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and then and then told me but uh i guess if you're in your shoes or the shoes of someone who's going through this you're not necessarily sure right yeah yeah that's very true it's a very real fear and I think unfortunately for a lot of people it goes the other way and you know they really are rejected by their families and you also said um, in your acknowledgement that you hope this book leads to inclusion and acceptance right yes so I, I, this is, I don't know this question here um, how do you get those people who have a presumptive bias to pick up the book and give it a chance in order to lead to inclusion and acceptance. Because if if the people that are already inclusive and accepting are reading your book, how do Mm -hmm. you get it out there to others? You know, one Except, of, the, of course, through Charlotte Reader's podcast, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one of the things I really wanted to do with this book was to um, – talk about Chris as a transgender young man, but not make that the entire focus of the book. So Mm -hmm. really, this is a first love story. And I wanted to make it a love story because I thought that was a really, um, love is such a human universal experience. And that's something I think we can all connect on in different levels or connect with in different levels. And it, it, it is a young love story, but mm-hmm. you know, but simply with one character being transgender, and that's the hint you lay out in the opening chapter. Um, mm-hmm. And was there a particular something that inspired you to write uh, about a transgender character? Yeah, I remember. Um, I was work. I've I worked on this book for many years. Um, so when I first started writing what would become Chris's character, it was around 2014, and um, I think I I was really seeing a lot of anti-LGBT backlash going mm-hmm. on, especially with the wins that our community was was having with you know gaining marriage equality, and I think whenever something like that comes along, there's always a backlash 
And then right. we definitely saw that happen um, later on with HB2. And um, it was actually after HB2 that I really decided this book needs to be something more than just a story about a transgender young man um, coming out because I felt like it might be too much of an isolating issue. Mm -hmm. So like you said earlier, maybe I wouldn't be able to bring in those readers that I really wanted to read this story who maybe weren't as familiar with Mm -hmm. um, transgender people and LGBTQ issues. And you mentioned HB2, and just to remind Mm -hmm. the listeners, HB2 was the uh, bill in North Carolina that overrode Charlotte's uh, ordinance that would have provided more protections to uh, actually all LGBTQ uh, members, but in particular allowed transgender individuals to use the bathroom of their choice, and it set off a firestorm, and it became the bathroom bill in the national scope got involved and eventually there was a compromise that led to that repeal but there was a lot of presumptions about transgender people right through that process that uh you know i guess it goes back to you know there's always been this terrible connection between for example you know a male who's gay shouldn't be coaching boys or a, a female who's a lesbian shouldn't be coaching right. women or a transgender shouldn't be using the bathroom you know that they're transitioning uh, the, these just terrible biased presumptions about what w- what these are people right right <laughs> yeah. exactly exactly um we just saw so much and continue to see so much um prejudice and and hatred just kind of like seeping out of the woodwork. Mm. And um, I really wanted to and a take, lot of stereotyping. Too, yes, right? definitely a lot of stereotyping and misconceptions. Right. And so in this book, we're going to do another reading here, but we're, we're going to come back to the transgender issues, but we've got another character because you can't have a book with just one character, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and we've, right. Got, we've got Maya. Uh, Maya is a, a young female. And just to set this up a little bit, Chris is going uh, away for the summer, mm-hmm. and he's going to live with his uh, aunt. And next door is a young girl named Maya, and they meet, and it's sort of. But she's having her own struggles because she's lost her sister, and she's not sure she's comfortable in her own skin. It's not a sexuality thing, but it, there are yeah. lots of other issues she's dealing with. So I'm going to let you read a, a chapter uh, that. Uh, from Maya early in the book. I didn't even know graffiti existed in Carson, North Carolina. I saw it by accident yesterday morning when I was at the gas station, filling my eternally deflating bike tires with free air. I usually rode there in front of the store, so I hadn't seen the back of the building until then. A car pulled up to one of the gas pumps, music blaring. When I looked, I saw that it was all my friends, piled into Hayden's mom's old-ass Ford Escort, laughing and shouting with the windows rolled down. They were going to the beach, to the carnival we went to every summer. They had invited me. They always invited me. They were good friends that way. I said I was sick. I wasn't sick, though. That's why I ducked behind the building with my bike, heart racing, waiting there until they left. And when I looked up, There it was, one of Mallory's photographs, except in real life. I loved my sister, even when I didn't understand her, even when I hated her, I still loved her. Which I guess is the reason I woke up early to be here, staring at the graffiti on the back wall of the only gas station in town. I returned this morning with Mallory's camera hanging around my neck. There was this one sharp thread in the strap that poked into my skin, and I wondered if it bothered her the way it bothered me. Part of me also wondered if Mallory had spray-painted the wall herself and then taken a picture of it. That seemed like the kind of thing she might do. But in person, I could see that the letters were worn, faded from years of grime and weather. I brought the camera up to my face and squinted through the viewfinder. 
My fingers fit into the smooth places her fingers had worn into the body of the camera over the years. I took a step back, then sidestepped to the right, back again, and a little to the left, and there it was. The picture my sister had once taken, framed exactly how she'd framed it. I looked down at my feet and adjusted my toes so they were pointing ever so slightly inward, the way she always used to stand. I was in the exact spot she was in when she took this picture. I waited to feel something. I don't ever take pictures myself. That was Mallory's thing, and I'm nothing like Mallory. There wasn't even film in the camera, but I pressed the shutter release so it made that sound, that clap-click-snap sound that always seemed to accompany Mallory wherever she went. Mallory had a way of seeing things that no one else did, but after our parents divorced four years ago, when she was in ninth grade and I was in eighth, she became serious about photography. We were only 18 months apart, but it may as well have been 18 years for all we had in common. She had plans to become a famous photographer, vowed to travel the world after she graduated from high school. She wanted to work for National Geographic and see her work in art galleries and stuff like that. She was going to do it too. She had a fancy internship lined up in Washington, D.C., some up-and-coming magazine that was going to pay to send her overseas on assignment. People in Carson just don't do stuff like that. Most of the time, I thought she was snobby and pretentious. This town, her life here, our parents, me, nothing was good enough for her. Even though she had everything, grades, talent, friends, the adoration of our parents and teachers and classmates, beauty, brains, magic. Still, she always wanted more. I never understood it, never understood her, which I guess is why I'm trying now. I gazed at the words melting in hasty cursive script, studied the handwriting of the vandal, their capital letters mixed in with lowercase, the messy lines stacked like blocks one on top of the other. Not anything like Mallory's scribble handwriting. Besides, she would have taken up the whole damn wall if it was her. All right, uh, Amber, so which character do you like better, Chris or uh, Maya? <laughs> Ooh, that's like asking <laughs> and, uh, which, which, child. which child you like better. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard one. But, but okay, give, give me the qualities you like in both of them. How about that? Yeah, you know, I see so much of myself in both Chris and Maya. So... Um, with Chris, I really connect to his struggle of coming out as being really parallel to my struggle of coming out. Um, but then the thing that I love most about Chris, and it's something, it's a quality that when I look back on my life when I was younger, I had, was hope. Mm. So I think one of the things about Chris is even when he is in his darkest moments, he really never gives up that hope that keeps him moving forward. And, you know, when I was a teenager, I didn't think I had that at the time. But when I look back, I really did. And I think it's that hope that really kept me kept me going through my dark times. What about Maya? She's got a dark side to her a little bit too. She yeah. does, yes. Yeah. So Maya is really grappling with her own identity in the wake of her sister dying unexpectedly. And that's something that definitely comes from um, my own experience as well. I remember um, several years ago now, my father passed away. And I think I was very unprepared for how much that loss affected um, affected who I was. And mm. I sort of had to reevaluate so many things in my life. It was um, very much a life-changing event. Mm. And so that's sort of where I draw from uh, with Maya. Well, you're not afraid to tackle issues in this book. And so before we take the break, uh, I'm going to have you focus on gendered violence mm -hmm. um you got a little section in the book that deals with what chris has gone through mm -hmm. that has kind of affected 
Chris is thinking, but uh, and, and you're a big advocate against gendered violence, right? That's one of the things you talk about. That's right. Um, and it's a theme through your book. So um, if you could, let's pick it up on page 98 uh, with that little uh, scene where Chris is reflecting on, uh, on what happened to him. My parents pressed charges against all three of the boys who beat me up. They were expelled from school for the rest of the year. Their parents had to pay my medical bills. They'd be on probation until they turned 18, but big fucking deal. They had already finished with their stupid community service while I was still laid up in bed. My two broken ribs were pretty much better, though those first weeks of breathing exercises with Isabel were excruciating. I'd have just as soon stopped breathing altogether if that was an option. The surgery for my broken nose and the orbital fracture of my right eye socket had gone well, and I had recovered from my bruised liver and sprained ankle all within a few weeks. But I was still in that back brace for the spinal fracture, and I'd have weeks and weeks of physical therapy to go through before I'd be fully healed. Colton was the one who kept me from going over the edge. He was my only real connection to the outside world, especially after Isabel left to go back home. Most days were spent sitting or lying in bed, finishing my online classes in no time at all because they were so fucking easy. After my eye was better, I read like a fiend, a book a day, sometimes more. Then at night, after my parents were in bed, I watched all the videos on the internet, every last one I could find, about being trans, about transitioning, I didn't need to watch them all, though, because within the first 30 seconds of the first video, this guy was sitting there already telling my whole life story. Someone on the other side of the world, whom I didn't know and whom I would never meet, knew me at my core. I always believed there was an infinite universe out there, and somehow I was supposed to be a part of it. At least, I tried very hard to believe that part. And for maybe the first time in my entire life, I was finally beginning to see a way to make that happen. So Amber, um, you've obviously been affected by these stories as anyone who's paying attention should be um, Mm -hmm. when you have senseless violence and hate crimes and that type of thing. Yeah, and so with Chris, I wanted to be very careful that um, this assault he experienced um, a year earlier before the book opens, Um, I wanted to make sure that I was treading that line very carefully because I did not want to make the correlation with the attack being linked to his coming out as transgender because that's who he already was. But I wanted to show how senseless acts of violence and hate crimes can really impact a person. And that's definitely something I am an advocate for. Um, I've addressed um, the issue of gendered violence actually in all of my books. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something that's very important to me. Mm -hmm. Well, when we come back from a short break, uh, we're gonna gonna see a little exchange between Chris and his mother. Then we're going to do the uh, the writing life segment that we're doing in this season. And then you're going to have a couple of readings from your, from your first two books. So uh, listeners, uh, please stay with us. Hey listeners, I'm here at the uh, Robinson Spangler Carolina Room at Sharp McMurg Library's Uptown Branch. It's a wonderful resource. I'm here with Tom Hanchett, a historian resident. We're talking about some of the books you can find in this room. Uh, Tom, tell us about this first book. Chris Long is a young author here in Charlotte. He's in his 20s, gifted photographer, and he is fascinated by the old signs. This is called Charlotte, the Signs of the Times. It's pure nostalgia, uh, pictures of the open kitchen, pizza pie, home of the pizza pie. Yeah, and, I, and I see the Penguin Restaurant on the cover and Rackless Flowers. Yeah. And um, things that you might not have noticed. You may know about Mr. K's, the wonderful soft ice cream place on South Boulevard. But next time you go out to the airport, the back way, take a look for the Oak Den Motel. It is a, a wonderful vintage <laughs> it sign. Says they have, it says they have. It says on the sign they have HBO and telephone. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
All right, we got uh, got this great picture book of Charlotte. You've got another one you're going to talk about here, Making Notes. Uh, yeah, as long as we're having fun, let's make some music. Uh, making Notes, uh, Music of the Carolinas, a, a book of stories about music in our area. Ann Wicker uh, edited this, and it was a publication of the library itself, the public library. Uh, there are essays about uh, James Brown, about the gospel trombone shout bands the united house of prayer for all people about the favorite concerts at the park center what's now the grady cole center um, all sorts of little tidbits about this area which is surprisingly rich in music and this uh this room that we're in where these we can find these books it's open to the public the carolina room is open to the public it has its own uh, music collection there are lps and cds here that you can listen to Mm -hmm. And uh, a whole lot of books. You can't check the books out, but they're always here, so you can come find always them. Always here. Carolina. Well, always here, and you can find out more at uh, cmlibrary.org or start, just stop by the Uptown Branch and visit uh, visit this wonderful resource, the uh, Robson Spanger Carolina Room. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Charlotte Readers Podcast and host Landis Wade are grateful to you for listening to this show. If you like the show, please leave a short written review on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes or the podcast platform of your choice, because your review helps authors share their stories with more listeners. Thank you for your support. All right, we're back with uh, local New York Times bestselling author Amber Smith, and we've been talking about uh, the book that came out in in June called Something Like Gravity, the third third novel she's written. Um, Amber, we talked earlier in the show about the relationship between the mother and Chris, and as with any good book, there's an arc, right? <laughs> a character arc, and and we don't see the mother as much during the book, but but we see things that are happening. So talk about this a little mm-hmm. bit and how family dynamics work, and then I'm have you read this little segment. Okay, yeah. Um, so Chris's relationship with his ver- his parents are is very conflicted, and so in the beginning we see that his father is the one who's really more on board with accepting him and wanting to support him and his mother's very resistant and so we see the effect of his mom's reaction to his identity um, kind of play out throughout the book and um, the way that influences Chris Um, so then as we move through the story, it's not until much later that we kind of understand a little bit more about the mom's per- perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really want to show that because not everybody is going to know the exact right thing to say or the, the reaction that is going to be the most supportive. And... I wanted to show how a person can evolve. And it, it sort of illustrates that the lack of acceptance in this case is not born from a mean or evil heart as, as much as it is um, someone who's missing something or grieving about something. Right? Yes. And that's Chris's mother. So let's t- take it away on page 372. I see you wanting to just put yourself back out there in this big, bold way, and it's terrifying, Mom continued. I was so angry at you for so long. But why? That's what I don't understand. It wasn't my fault. I can't help being who I am. I know it wasn't your fault. You weren't asking for it. You did not deserve what happened. Then why are you so angry at me? I said again. She shook her head back and forth with purpose. It's not about you being trans. It truly isn't. It's taken me all year to realize this, but it was about me. I think it felt like as you were rejecting being a woman, you were rejecting me. That's not what I was doing, Mom. I know that now, she said. But it was more than just my fragile little ego. She paused and grabbed my hand her voice low when she said, I loved my daughter something fierce. You know that. Yes, I agreed. That was the one thing I knew for sure. You have to understand, she gripped both my hands tight. You were taking her away from me. 
That's why I was angry. I had to get all Mama Tiger on someone, and that someone was you. She coughed, trying to hold back her tears. And I think I was grieving, too, mourning you. I was holding on so hard to the person you used to be, I didn't realize you were still here. But that's what you were trying to tell me all along, wasn't it? I nodded. I never wanted to hurt you, Chris. I wanted to protect you, even from yourself. I know, I told her, and this time I did. I'm sorry, and I will try my best to be what you need, she said, her voice shaking. I don't want to lose you. I suddenly felt all these walls crashing down around me, walls I didn't even know were there. I swallowed hard and told her the truth. You won't. So this section also reveals that Chris maybe doesn't understand his parents just as his parents don't understand him. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess if you're dealing with your own identity issues, it's hard to mm-hmm. understand how other people are feeling yeah. as well. And yeah. I think, um, you know, coming from my own personal experience, as I said earlier in the show, I waited until I was an adult before I finally came out to my family. And I think it can be very easy to build up these scenarios in your mind where... These false yes. ideas about what might happen. Yeah. Yep. Where you, it's very easy to just think, oh, they're not going to accept me. They're going to hate me. They will have all these bad feelings about me. And really, he was thinking, Chris was thinking that about his mom. But it turns out that really wasn't where she was coming from at all. And so they finally have this moment of really being able to understand each other. So we were talking before (laughs) we started the show. You were running in here and, and dealing with some things. You said something about your cats, right? And I said, <laughs> I said, well, my daughter's got a cat. Is that a lesbian thing? <laughs> to, and then we said, and then there's a Subaru, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. So, yes. So your, your, part, so your partner's got a Subaru, right? Yeah, and, that's right. And my got partner a cat. has a Subaru. Yeah. We have three cats and three two cats. dogs. Right. Yes, and they, they like to uh, play tricks on me. Those cats are very mischievous. So right. I was a few minutes late coming in. Uh, today because they decided to hide my glasses on me <laughs> well, why do you think that is because cats have their own identity and they're proud of it <laughs> yes <laughs> and, and they don't give a crap what anybody else they thinks. don't care yeah, they don't yeah. care at all yeah all right the, the strong uh, identity animal all right so we're going to do something now uh called the writing life segment in this season and i've got several different things i'm going to do but i'm gonna throw a few things at you First of all, um, let's play a little quick true-false, okay? Uh, routine is an important part of my writing process. Mm, I'm going to say false. False. You don't? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think sometimes it can actually inhibit me. I, I know it's different for everybody, but and it differs by book, right. too. Okay. Yeah. Rejection doesn't bother me. <laughs> false. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're, you're honest on the show. Getting editorial feedback is energizing. I'm going to say true like on that, that one. Yes, because okay. some people see that all the all the red marks on the page, and they just get depressed. <laughs> but you, it, it energizes well, you. Well, there's yeah. a moment. There's <laughs> a there's a period of depression, but then it, it once you get quickly. past it, you see. Ooh, because you I can, can make this better. Well, that's the point, right? Yeah. Okay. Publishing is a journey, not a sprint. Now, for you, that probably doesn't apply true. because you got well. You got out there. Well, I guess your first book was really successful, but it did take you some time to get it published. Yes. Right? Yes, it did. Yeah. How long was that process? Um, I think I I started trying to get my first book published in 2012. And it came out? And it came out in 2016. Okay. So It is a journey. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's okay to be jealous of other writers. Uh-huh. Ooh, false. That's false? It's not okay? Yeah. Not to say it doesn't happen, but it's <laughs> not okay because it only, you know what? Because yeah. it only hurts you in the end right no the writing community is fairly collaborative all right writing the second book is harder than the first Hmm. i don't know that's sort of true false yeah true false (laughs) true false in what way uh i think it's for me the second book was harder in the sense that 
I had a deadline. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And you knew you yeah. had to do it. But them. easier in yeah. the sense that I had an editor and a publisher who yeah. could get it out. <laughs> Writing a first draft is like a box of chocolates. I don't know what I'm going to get. <laughs> true or false? Absolutely true. It is true for you? Okay. Uh, writing is hard work. True. Yeah. Plot may drive the story, but the characters keep the pages turning. Is that true or false mm. for you? I think it's actually the other way for me. Is it? Is it? Yes. Yeah, you think the plot keeps the pages turning. Yeah. And, but you write such character-rich people in your books, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, writers, as a general rule, support one another. True. Yeah. Very true. Yeah, Especially in Charlotte. We have yeah. a great community of writers. We, we do. All right. How about a little either or? Um, you can select one or the other or neither or both. Okay. Okay. Ink pen or keyboard? This is about your writing process. Mm, ink pen. Uh, really, you write write it out in longhand. Yeah, yeah. Well, not necessarily, but I take like an entire notebook full of notes as I'm as I'm working on things. Okay. Well, if I could read my own handwriting, I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> Dictionary or spell check? Mm, thesaurus. <laughs> thesaurus. <laughs> Neither. <laughs> uh, outline or free flow? Uh, a little bit of both. A little bit of both, yep. yeah. Um, in the light of day or the dark of night, when do you like to write? Mm, I like to write either super early in the morning or really late at night. But you said you don't have a routine, right? Yeah, not really. <laughs> yeah. So you never know. <laughs> okay. Uh, complete quiet or ambient noise? Mm, like depends on what I'm working on. Okay. Do you like music in the background? Sometimes, yeah. With my first book, I had a giant playlist of music that I listened to. My second book, I couldn't listen to anything. It had to be silent. Because I attended a writing workshop with Craig Johnson. He's he's the author of the Longmire series. He says he puts on train songs. <laughs> when he writes, <laughs> you know, because he's writing westerns. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you do anything that's related to the mood? Do you try to put music on? I do sometimes, yeah. And when I'm working on heavy dialogue scenes, I actually do like to work outside of my office. Um, mm. So, like, I'll go over to Amelie's and and just and get, write. get amongst the people. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it really helps to have things going on around me. All right, you may have hinted at this earlier: writing the first draft or revising it. Ooh, revising. You like that process? Yes. Writing the work or submitting it for publication? Writing the work. Yeah, much better. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot involved in the submission process. All right, last of the either or, marketing or manual labor? We did this in this. Ooh. <laughs> I think I'd prefer manual <laughs> yeah, labor yeah, yeah. to marketing my well, books. A lot of authors, yeah. <laughs> M- marketing is, uh, is one of those things. A few open-ended questions. What is a fact about you as a writer that people might be surprised to learn? Mm. Um, I think people might be surprised to know that when I was a kid, I had so much trouble reading. Hmm. I hated it. Really? I, I had a lot of trouble. I had different um, learning disabilities when I was a kid. And I think that's why I initially gravitated more towards the visual arts. Hmm. Um, so it was a very long journey to find my love of books. But I think I always loved story. Right. And um, eventually I found my way into loving Interesting. books. What emotions do you hope to tap into when someone reads your work? Uh, the feeling that you're not alone. Hmm. A feeling of being seen and understood and validated. A couple of fill in the blanks. I write because... Mm, I would go crazy if I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I felt like I could call myself a writer was when? I, I still don't feel comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> You're a New York Times bestselling author. You don't feel comfortable calling yourself a writer. Uh, uh, the, uh, the blank was my most memorable public event as a writer. It can be good or bad. You know? Ooh. Um, you know, I think I have to say it was my book launch for my first book Mm. um it was it was amazing so many people from different parts of my life came out to support me and it was just so wonderful some people i hadn't seen in years and it was it was it was great i definitely was feeling the love 
The vices and activities that interfere with my writing include... Ooh, we talked about this earlier. (laughs) My dogs and cats. Dogs and cats, okay. Uh, The blank that I bought was the best money I ever spent as a writer. What did you buy that that helped you in the writing process? Did you pay off off your publicist or something? (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) actually... Um, hiring a publicist, I I feel like is money well spent. Okay, <laughs> actually, because right. it's so hard to to uh, compete and and get yourself out there. If I could use superhero powers in my writing, I would choose mm. the ability to uh, be productive while going without sleep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just someone that can stay awake all the time, right? Yeah, and, and get it done. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Well, thank, thanks for that. Well, I, one last question. Um, and I guess this relates to, you know, you're not that, as I say, you're, you're young to be a successful writer, but uh, you, you did start somewhere. So what would you tell your younger writer self that would help you that you've learned mm-hmm. since? I would tell my younger writer self that you're – voice and your stories and your experiences are worthy Mm, that's great Mm -hmm. speaking of worthy stories and experiences you've got two other books and you're going to read just uh, you're going to give us a little flavor for what goes on in there let's start with uh, your first book the way i used to be Um, just quickly the uh, 30 second teaser about this Mm. book Uh, tell us tell us what we got here yeah, so the way I used to be um, follows a girl named Eden through all four years of high school. And the book opens the morning after she has been raped by her brother's best friend. Mm. Okay, take it away. I don't know a lot of things. I don't know why I didn't hear the door click shut. Why I didn't lock the damn door to begin with or why it didn't register that something was wrong, so mercilessly wrong, when I felt the mattress shift under his weight. Why I didn't scream when I opened my eyes and saw him crawling between my sheets, or why I didn't try to fight him when I still stood a chance. I don't know how long I lay there afterward, telling myself, squeeze your eyelids shut, try, just try to forget. Try to ignore all the things that didn't feel right, all the things that felt like they would never feel right again. Ignore the taste in your mouth, the sticky dampness of the sheets, the fire radiating through your thighs, the nauseating pain, this bullet-like thing that ripped through you and got lodged in your gut somehow. No, can't cry. Because there's nothing to cry about, because it was just a dream, a bad dream, a nightmare. Not real, not real, not real. That's what I keep thinking. Not real, not real, not real. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Like a mantra. Like a prayer. Amber, what uh, made you take on this difficult topic for your first book? You know, I think um, I started writing the way I used to be just um, as something I was doing for myself almost therapeutic typewriting mm, and why is um, it, why is it? well um, sexual violence is definitely something that's impacted my life um, I'm a survivor but in many ways I wanted to write this book for all the other people I mm. knew in my life who had been impacted um, you know and since this book has come out we've seen the me too movement mm. and um, times up and I think we really are seeing just how many people are affected by by sexual violence and sexual abuse and that was definitely the motivation for me to really um, turn this into a work of fiction and try to get it published it was not so much for me but for the other people in my life that I knew had been impacted now obviously it reached a large audience and it did mm-hmm. impact a lot of people how did, how did it help you along you said it was a little bit therapeutic yeah what, yeah what? I think it really made me <coughs> trust my own voice and really um, 
it, it really brought a lot of healing for me as well. That's great. Mm-hmm. So you write book one, you have success, mm-hmm. and then you say, oh, I'm going to write another book. And it's the last to go. Give us the, the primer on the last to go. So the last to let go is um, a story about uh, a teenager named Brooke and her extremely dysfunctional family. And so um, the book opens when Brooke uh, has come home from her last day of school to find that her mother has just been arrested for killing her abusive father. And so the book follows Brooke in her own journey of really trying to find herself outside of this uh, carefully constructed role she's had in her family when, of course, everything is really blown apart by this tragedy that happens. I raid Jackie's bathroom for some ibuprofen, aspirin, Tylenol, anything. But her medicine cabinet is filled with things like St. John's wort and vitamin C and valerian root. As I lie down in one of the spare rooms which Jackie made up for me, in this bed that should be really comfortable because it feels nice and new and clean and safe, I am awake. It's too quiet here. I'm used to the gentle hum of traffic or voices drifting in through the open windows or muffled television sounds traveling through the walls and floors and ceilings of our building or, on an extra quiet night, the lapping sounds of the river that runs alongside the park across the street. This kind of quiet doesn't feel peaceful at all. It makes me focus on my thoughts instead, which is the last thing I want right now. I hear them mobilizing, feel them lining up one after the other into formation, building a loop, a reel that begins playing in my head before I can stop it. Frames of mom in handcuffs, dad on the floor, Callie in the ambulance, Aaron running, Jackie, Tony, the doctor, police car, ambulance, fire truck, going over everything, again and again and again. I pull the pillow over my face and hold it there, hearing my own pulse thumping in my ears. I try to think about something else, anything else. I think about my exam, all those right answers I knew by heart. I think about Darwin and evolution, survival of the fittest and natural selection. I think about cellular processes and genetics, chromosomes, kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. I think about this time next week, this time next month, this time next year, five years, ten years from now, measuring out the distance to a time when things will be normal, when things will make sense, when things will be right again. Amber, did things become right again in the book? <laughs> well, the, they, the become, they become right in a new way. Yeah, okay. Well, um, wonderful writing. Um, Oh, thank you. you. Know, I enjoyed reading something like Gravity and look forward to diving into the other two as well. Um, you've got a great voice, Amber. Keep it up. Yeah. Oh, thank we're, you so much. We're, um, so I know that Parkwood Books, uh, our, uh, who sponsors the show, carries your books. Where else mm-hmm. can people find your books? Uh, you've got a website, right? Yes, yes. Um, you can that? find me at ambersmithauthor.com. And you're on Twitter? Yep, yeah. I'm on Twitter as a Smith Author. And, and Instagram, and, Instagram Facebook. and Facebook, it's at Amber Smith Author. All right, y'all tweet at her and Instagram her and definitely. Facebook I love her. hearing from you guys. Yeah, okay. Well, Amber, um, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. This was a pleasure. Great. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. In next week's episode, we have a Scott Hewler. It was another live podcast that we did. This one was at the Charlotte Museum of History in July. Scott uh, reads and discusses his book, A Delicious Country, Rediscovering the Carolinas Along the Route of John Lawson's 1700 Expedition. And who is John Lawson, you might ask? Well, he was a young English gentleman who left home in 1700 looking for adventure and who nine years later, uh, after his quest for knowledge, published a very popular book at the time called A New Voyage to the Carolinas, He landed in Charleston where he began his two-month trip through the backcountry, much of it along the old trading path which ran north and south. 
You might know it now as Tryon Street in Charlotte, North Carolina. Scott is not a licensed surveyor like Lawson was, more a surveyor of words, and why he decided to travel by canoe and then foot along that same 1700 route is the subject of his book, and we had a great discussion about what he saw along the way many hundreds of years later. For periodic updates about the show and upcoming authors, please sign up for the podcast email list at charlottereaderspodcast.com. We promise not to spam you, because Landis says that takes too much time. And if you do sign up as a thank you, Landis will give you an ebook complete with illustrations, his first in the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy. Please don't forget our sponsors, Park Road Books and Charlotte Mecklenburg Library. Links to our five sponsors and the resources are on the webpage and in the show notes. You can listen to Charlotte Readers Podcast episodes for free at charlottereaderspodcast.com or at Charlotte Mecklenburg Library's digital branch website. And you can subscribe and listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can find out more about us and our sister shows at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Charlotte Readers Podcast is available on social media, on Facebook at Charlotte Readers Podcast, on Twitter at Charlotte Reader, on Instagram and on LinkedIn at Landis Wade. Until next week, I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast.